0: 1989, Jerome Olds wrote a song, Christian recording artist, and uh, he put it out, and it really spoke to me. It goes like this, look out across the ocean, tell me what do you see? Is that gospel ship coming for you and me? Can you see the horizon? Is that the promised land? Are we crossing the crystal sea to forever stand? Well, you know. What's, that's what in our, us born again believers, that's what in our, what's in our heart. Amen? Amen? But then Jerome pauses in mid-thought, as is to look back over his shoulder. And with concern, he asks, is it right to go on up to heaven without taking a friend? Is it right to say you love and then walk away again? Is it, is it right to stand by and watch the world die from sin? And the, the obvious answer is no, it's not. You know, when we're born again, we're saved by God's grace, and now we need to try and help others get a hold of that grace as well. Amen? It's right. And his song rings true. And it speaks of two turnings, two turnings that have to happen in every person's life, that need to happen in every person's life. The first one is, well, you know, we turn, we turn from our sin. We turn to God in faith. We're born again into God's family. You know, God's good. We're not. We got a problem. We're sinners. We deserve to die and go to hell with nothing. Nothing we can do to fix that, but God still loves us, and he made a way. That by sending his son, Jesus Christ, as our substitute sacrifice to pay the penalty of our sin on the cross, he died. And his blood, his body. Man, that brings forgiveness for every sin that every person committed in the history of the world, except one. And Jesus proved this by rising from the dead. And we, you know, we've got to do three things. Number one, we have to turn. We have to turn from our sin to God in belief. And we must be born again. Jesus said that to Nicodemus on that night. John chapter 3 recounts. He said, You've got to be born again. What does that mean? That means God does this miracle when I believe where my spirit dies and Jesus comes to live within me. God writes his laws in my mind and my heart, and, and his spirit dwells in me, and I know him. We all know him. When, when God's in you, you know him, you hear his voice. And the, he speaks to us through the word. And it's an incredible thing. And, and Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we'll study this in a couple of weeks. But it says that God pours his love in our hearts. His agape love, his unconditional love. God loves us no matter what. And it's in our hearts now because Jesus is in there. And so the natural thing leads to the second turning. It's a turning back to those people around us to reach out to them on Jesus' behalf. And it's very important. That second turning is just as important as the first. We need to love people. And, and the most loving thing that you can do, that any person can do, is trying to help somebody get saved. Really, let's think about it. If a person does not repent and believe and be born again, it doesn't matter what they have. It doesn't matter what they are. In the long run, it's a tragedy. It's this, people getting saved is the most important thing in the world. And, and that's what I'm here to talk about today, this turning back to that point. Now, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. In verse 1, but a little background first, Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been in a boat, uh, preaching to a crowd on the shore. When he finished, he, he said, let's go to the other side. And then he lays down and goes to sleep in the boat. Big storm, the perfect storm hits to the point where these uh, seasoned professional fishermen are shook up. They think, we're going to die, Jesus, don't you even care? And they wake him up, he gets up, he rebukes the wind, perfect calm, and then he turns to him and he says, Why were you afraid? I said, we're going to the other side, implying they shouldn't have been. You know, and he says, where's your faith? And in chapter, uh, in verse 41 of chapter 4, it says the disciples feared greatly at that point. And they said, who can this be? See, that's really the issue at that point. They still don't really know exactly who Jesus is. They're going to hear very shortly from a very unexpected source exactly who he is. Amen? And so we begin reading in, Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. The Gadarenes also, in the ESV, it's called the Gerasenes. The Gergesenes, where they landed on the eastern shore there, the Sea of Galilee, was a part of an area called the Decapolis, which means ten cities. It was established by the Greeks when they were in rule before the Romans, and it was a lot of Greek culture happening there. It was a happening place, apparently, but it was in the middle of Israel. In the part of land that Joshua had given to the half-tribe of Manasseh back in the day. Verse 2. And when he had come out, Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Matthew actually tells us this this was two guys, but apparently Mark's just talking about the one with the most severest condition, the most uh, severe state of demonic oppression. But we see here just a pathetic scene of a person whose life has been destroyed by demonic oppression. And uh, Luke tells us he was naked, and he was very fierce to where nobody wanted to go around there. And, and, and notice, he lived in the tombs among the dead. You know, this is Satan's goal for every person's life. Uh, John 10 tells us Satan wants to steal your life. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. But, praise the Lord, 1 John 3 8 says Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of Satan. Amen? Amen? And we're going to see the, the truth of those two, these two verses unfold before us as we read on. We have an adversary, Satan. But let me tell you guys, we got an advocate, Jesus, who can totally whip our adversary. We don't need to be afraid of anything. Amen. We don't need to fear anything, guys. And so, here's the deal. We see this, in verse 6, we see this tormented man making an incredibly wise decision. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar... He ran and he worshiped him. You know, just calling out the name of Jesus stops Satan right in his tracks. So that's what we need to do continuously. Run to Jesus. Worship him, especially in times of distress and trouble because he's there for you. Verse 7, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Okay, remember? The disciples had asked, who can this be? Then the demons speak, the son of God. (laughs) Can you see the hair kind of go up on the back of their necks a little bit? Discovering that, part B of that verse 7, they say, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Hey, look, demons aren't scared of us, guys. We think they are, don't we? we? We got all these movies that act like we can whip, you know, these incredible beings, you know. As a matter of fact, I think there was a movie Arnold Schwarzenegger versus the Devil. There was actually a movie that way. And, and, and I think he won. But here's the deal not. We can't beat him. And demons are not scared of us, guys. But they're scared of Jesus because they've got to do what he says. No choice. They are not afraid. They must obey him. Verse 8 Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we have many. Now, Jesus asked the man, the demons probably answered. And the reason he asked his name, probably so we could understand the severity of this guy's situation. A Legion is, can be up to 6,000 men. And we don't know that's exactly how many were in him, but he had a lot of demons in him. Bad situation. Verse 10, also he begged Jesus earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Luke 8, 31 says, don't send us into the abyss. And the abyss, abuso in the Greek was this bottomless pit. Revelation chapter 9, verse 11 talks about it. Where a lot of demons, they're locked up there right now. They don't want to go there. Verse 11, now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. Number one, what are the pigs doing there? You, you know, these are Jewish people. Pigs are illegal. You know, they're unclean. They you know, might have been, you know, the, back then, the, the, the growers of the, of the unlawful crops, you know, hiding over there on the east shore. We don't know. But what we do know is, notice here in this is, Jesus has total authority and power, control over demons. They must even ask his permission to do stuff, guys. Verse 13, And at once, Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about two thousand, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. It makes me sad. All those poor pigs. You know, <laughs> no, they won't put up with demons being them. You know, they, they, you know, headline: deviled ham commits suicide. Oh. Forgive me for the bad joke. (laughs) Please don't leave. But look, those pigs were having nothing to do with being possessed by demons. You see that? Verse 14, so those who fed the swine fled. They told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Verse 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, listen to this, sitting, clothed, and in his right man mind. Man, what a, that's, this is an awesome p- picture of before and after. Life touched by Jesus. Now, this guy is not born again yet. Jesus has not died on the cross. He hasn't. risen from the dead, ascended to the Father, and sent the Spirit back. So he's not born again. But this guy gives us, what happens here, gives us a great picture of what happens when a person's life is touched by Jesus. Before, we are untamable, out of control. Think about yourself. Hey, man, this fits me perfectly. Scary. Hurting yourself. Crying. Tormented. Controlled and manipulated by Satan. In hate. Among the dead. After, sitting at Jesus' feet. Surrounded by love. Among the living. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Before... We were naked. We were exposed by our sin. After, what are we? We're clothed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Before, we're insane. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Our thinking is so off base. God's given us over to a debased mind, a carnal mindset. After, man, we're in our right minds. Our thinking is based on the truth, which has set us free. We actually have the mind of Christ. Praise the Lord. And when they saw this, the people, the pig owners and the other people came running. It says there in the second part of verse 15, they were afraid. Why? Think about it. Why are they afraid? Guys, unbelievers often get shook up when a person repents and believes. It can convict them Terribly. Convict them of sin and darkness that they have committed in their li- that they're committed to in their lives. Uh, in John 3:19, Jesus says, "This is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. You know these people are afraid." You know, they're shook up. They hate the light. And, you know, many of us have had similar experiences related to this in our own lives after we gave our life to Jesus. I know you have friends. You know, this freaks them out. We've heard stories. We heard stories from the Jesus movement where parents actually wanted their children to go back on drugs and quit following Jesus. It's crazy. When people are committed, they have that unconditional love for sin. And maybe these pig owners, they were just kind of worried they were going to lose all their profits if Jesus stuck around. But, wow. verse 16, those who saw it, man, they told them what, how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. Man, they can't even see the miracle of God that's before them. They could care less this poor guy has been delivered from demons. They just want Jesus to get out of here. Leave. You ever been around a situation like that? Somebody asks you to leave before Jesus. And you know what? Jesus is a gentleman. Jesus is not going to force his will, his will that none perish and go to hell. He's not going to force that on anybody. If you ask Jesus to leave, he'll leave. That's sad. Verse 18, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. I would, I would think so. Jesus had done great things in his life. He had touched him and set him free. Now all this man wanted to do was spend time with Jesus. And the question is, has Jesus touched your life? He touched mine back in 1987. i got to tell you guys, I was ecstatic. Man, the guilt was gone. The darkness was gone. Man, the light had come. Man, I was free. There was great joy and peace for the first time ever. Great sense of purpose. I was forgiven of my sins. Born again. God's love had flooded into my heart. I had a reason for living. All I wanted to do was hang out with Jesus. Get into his word. Worship. Pray. Hang out with believers. Sitting at Jesus is where we all want to be. I mean, like Mary. Remember Martha and Mary? I mean... Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha was distracted frantically with serving, and she got on her sister, and Jesus said, Hey, Martha, Mary's got the the good thing. It's, It's the thing that won't be taken from her. The good part. Sitting at Jesus' feet. That's what we all need. We need to sit there. And when we sit at Jesus' feet, well, we get Jesus. We get to know him. That's where life is. In him is life. However... This is wild. Jesus didn't forget him, didn't permit him. Jesus doesn't let him. Now, here's the deal. He, when the demons wanted to go in the pigs, what did he say? Yes. When the people go, hey, get out of here, Jesus, what did he say? Yes. This guy says, I just want to hang around with you, Jesus. What does he say? No. no. <laughs> what gives? But Jesus said to him, go home to your friends. and Tell them what things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Jesus sends him on mission. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and 10. We know that. It's a big verse around here. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any should boast. For we are His workmanship, what? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we might walk in them. You know, you were saved by grace, and now God has works for us to do. And you know what they are? To share that grace with others. To share that love with others. That's it. That's our mission. And you know what? It is right to try and help a friend go to heaven with you. That's what we want to do. You know, we, we get born again, we just want to hang out with Jesus. Jesus says, no, go make disciples. Go be my ambassadors to the world around you. Go tell your friends and family what great things God has done for you and the compassion he has had on you. Amen? But we got that dilemma. I want to sit at Jesus' feet, but i gotta go. I got to go do stuff. But Jesus solves that dilemma for us through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. Hey, in Matthew, you know what He said in Matthew, the Great Commission, 28, verse 19 to 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Man, Jesus sets up that dilemma again. How are you going to be with us always when we're out there doing it? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus was here in physical body, he could only be in one place at one time. And he could only give his undivided attention to one person at one time. But when he went to heaven, sent his spirit back, now he can be everywhere all the time. And guess what? I got Jesus' undivided attention constantly, all the time. And so do you. Praise the Lord. Jesus is right there with you, doing what, man. And so, and when he's there, he, well, he tells us to go home and tell our friends about him. This is the second turning, to be his witnesses to others. Verse 20, and so he who had formerly been possessed by demons departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. The people of Decapolis heard this man tell his marvelous stories about what Jesus. But let me tell you guys something. They heard these stories and they marveled. But I want to say to you, this guy's changed life probably spoke way more than their words did to him. This was a demon-possessed guy. And now, what happened to you? He was changed. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that, man, hey, they saw the marvelous difference in the way he acted. Former pro football player Sherman Smith, well, he tells about how supposed Christians that he was around would tell him how he needed to follow Jesus. But then they acted and talked just the way he did. And in carrying their hypocrisy, uh, he would say, what you do speaks so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. He would say that to him until he met Ken Hutcherson. Ken was different. Something about him. He, he, he wasn't a hypocrite. He, he believed this. He was a serious Christian. And he, he, you know, he, would, he began to watch Ken. And he thought he was a cool guy. And so, then something tragic happened. Ken was like him, trying to make the team. He made the team. He was going to be a starter. Last preseason game with the Seahawks. Blew out his knee. Career over. Sherman was blown away. He's like, oh, no. And he went to talk to him. To see, and, and when he got there, he was shocked. Of what he saw, there was Ken smiling. He said, don't worry about me, Sherm. Man, God just got something else for me to do. I've got to be honest with you, I'm excited about what it's going to be. The first time ever, Sherman wanted to hear about Jesus. And he repented. He believed and he was born again into God's family. Likewise, in my life, it was the lifestyle witness of someone, got to really control myself here, I get emotional about it, who changed me and started me down that road to salvation. In 1975, Steve Bartkowski was, a draft, was the number one draft pick in the NFL. And he was rookie of the year. He was living the high life. He was doing great. Then everything went south. That high life started to catch up with him. He wasn't happy. Man, he started playing bad football. The press, the fans turned against him. His wife divorced him. Everything fell apart. Last thing was he lost his starting job. as a quarterback of the team. I was there. I, you know what? I saw the whole thing. I was there. I was there. And, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he changed. I'll never forget watching him sitting there. after The, fan, the fans had bird, booed him unmercifully this game. and I was one of them. I'm saying, but I'll never forget watching him on the bench. The whole second half, he just sat on the bench with, just with his hands, his, his, his head in his hands, bent over, a towel over his head, not moving. This guy was broken. He would later recount that he went home that night and he repented and believed and was born and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he was changed. Steve Bartkowski had been intercepted by Christ. And everybody, everybody knew he'd changed. Everybody noticed, the fans, his teammates, the media. I noticed he got better. Man, he he earned his starting job back. You know, within a year or so, he became all pro, which is what you get for being the best at your position. And, hey, like I said, I noticed. And the way I noticed was I, at that time I was a teenager, and I went to this local rec center all the time and played basketball. And and, and in the offseason, Steve would show up. He'd play pickup with us. And I wasn't a born-again believer then, but I, I noticed him. I was around him. I, I noticed, man, he's just a chill guy. He's easygoing. He's happy. He's a nice person. You know, and Steve never said, one word to me about Jesus. He didn't. I mean, he never said anything to me other than "good game" or "I got this guy on defense." But the way he acted, man, it spoke to me in such a profound way. I will never forget it. Later, when I got when I turned to the Lord and believed, I thought back and had one of those "oh yeah" moments, thinking about His life and how He influenced. He had kind of you know I knew there was something different, and I knew I was looking for it at some point later. You know, a friend of of mine called me in the same way after having made a commitment to Jesus. And he thanked me about the impact I'd had on his life. But the interesting thing is, earlier, when we first became friends, I had tried to share something with him out of the word one day that the Lord had said to me. And he made it very clear. He he didn't want to hear any of it. Matter of fact, he didn't even say it to me. He told his brother-in-law to tell me, tell Hallman to quit trying to convert me. And so I did. But I kept hanging around with him. I loved him. Loved his family. I just tried to live for Jesus, you know. And, and I love this guy so much, I, my heart broke, I'd pray for him a lot. And when he got saved, he called me on the phone with tears in his eyes. He said, I just want to tell you that you are the main reason I came to Jesus. And, and, and I thought, really? I never said a word to you about Jesus. And I saw the importance of your lifestyle. Lifestyle evangelism. Don't ask, I, I forget, I think it might have been Augustine said, preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. And use words if you have to. But here's the deal. We need to use words. Because people need to hear You know what it says in Romans? It says, how, let let me find it. Let me get back on track. How shall they believe, Romans 10, 13, in whom they have not heard? We must tell others. And you know what? When we're born again, we want to tell others. But we become tentative at times timid and fearful, don't we? Ever felt that kind of nervousness? Oh, I don't know if I want to. Even apathetic. We can become apathetic. Why? Well, I, there's lots of reasons. I'm going to share about five reasons this morning that are big ones and talk about them a little bit. And then we're going to talk about stuff that helps. Alright, because man, that's what this morning's all about. The second turn. And making that turn. and Being effective in it. First, hindrance. Is self. That's the next slide, Tiffany. Yeah, there it is. Self. Self is our problem, guys. You know the Greek word for witness is the word martus, from which we get our word martyr, which means to testify to something through his a person to testify to something through his or her death, dying to self. In chapter, in Luke chapter nine verse twenty three through twenty five, Jesus said. If anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it for what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost we can be hindered from sharing the gospel because we haven't taken this initial basic step in our relationship with jesus if you want to follow Jesus, you got to deny yourself. Notice it doesn't say deny yourself something. Hey, I can do that. It says deny yourself. That's the whole package. <laughs> you put self to death daily. Follow Jesus where he leads you. You know, self is my problem. That's it. My self-focus. Many say they're following Jesus, but they're utterly self-focused. We can have a self-addiction, can't we? We worship self. When we wake up in the morning, we think, hey, I wonder what everybody's thinking about me. Many want the benefits of Jesus without dying to self, without the cross. They want to continue living life no differently from the world while benefiting from that Jesus fire insurance, you know, hell fire insurance. It's funny, but it's not, you know? They embrace the blessings of the cross, but refuse to repent, deny self, die to self. And Paul, hear these words in Philippians 3, 18 and 19. With tears on his cheeks, he says. He says, he's weeping, says of these people who are supposed to be Christians, but in fact, they he calls them enemies of the cross. Wow. He says, whose end is destruction... Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Here's the deal this morning. We need to make sure, you need to make sure it's not you. You know, go to God and just ask Him. You know, He'll let you know. Get into prayer in His Word. And if Christ is in you, there'll be great peace joy you will know because you know Him. But if Christ is not in you, man, we got to repent. you got to die to yourself. You know, it says in Luke 14, 26, people get confused about it. It says, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, brother and sister, wife and children, even his own life also, you can't be my disciple. Now, me and my son-in-law had a discussion about this recently. You know, there's something, Jesus isn't about hate, he's about love. And he's right. And I I thought hard about it. How do you explain it? And and I came up with it. You know who I hate? I hate the person who would keep me from going to heaven. And you know who that person is? It's that rebellious spirit inside of me. He would say, no, no, no. Guess what? That person's got to die. And Jesus accomplishes that on the cross. Galatians chapter 2:20 says, "I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me." We got to die. That, get rid of that guy. <laughs> what a great day when you do. It's incredible. You're free from that person. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Know for sure that your citizenship is in heaven, that you're part of Jesus' flock. God will let you know. He wants you. Man, there's nothing God wants more than you become a child of God. But you've got to die. You've got to die. That and self's in the way. Definitely in the way. Second thing that will hinder it, kind of connected, stuff. <laughs> stuff will hinder it. You know, the parable of the sower, Mark four nineteen. previous chapter we read here, Jesus talked about a seed symbolic of the word of God, his truth in the gospel, that was sown among thorns, describing people who received the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires, desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The cares of the world, what are those? That is anything that is a concern in this life and not in heaven, even good things. And we get into them so much that we cease focusing on and, and, and working for the kingdom of God and trying to bear fruit for God's kingdom. The deceitfulness of riches is when we become deceived and think riches are the key to happiness and worth. We begin to pursue them to the place of cease being concerned and producing anything for God's kingdom. And the desire for other things when we become discontent with God's provision. Focus on gaining different things, to the place where we cease being concerned about and producing anything for God's kingdom. These are wrong, guys. They're wrong priorities. They're wrong understandings, and they've got to be changed in our lives. We need to become like Moses. I love this verse. I write this one down. If you want to memorize one for today, here it is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to rather to suffer affliction with the people of God "...than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt." Why? Why would you do that, Moses? You were the second richest, more powerful man on the face of the earth. You could have had anything. Why would you do that? He looked to the reward, the eternal reward. That was more important to him than anything. His faith gave him an eternal perspective which told him not to waste his time on the things of this world that are passing away and won't last." But put his focus and effort into gaining the reward of heaven, which is forever. And help others get that reward too. That's where it's at, guys. You see how stuff hinders us. Third thing, the reproach of Christ. You know, here, this is, the reproach of Christ is an interesting one. It, it's easy to understand if you really think about it. Jesus, what did he say in, in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What? Nobody comes to the Father but through me. When he said that, well, because he said that he's the way, that means all other religions, philosophies, and theories are not the way to God. Let me tell you something. The adherents of those religions, philosophies, theories are not gonna like hearing that. Satan ain't gonna like hearing it either. He's the one who invented those things that are lies. And you know what? He's gonna oppose us, bring all types of resistance. And then people who are into the world don't want to give up their sin. You know, they aren't going to like it either. And guess what? Your character and your reputation, man, it is going to be defamed and maligned. You might even, man, I lost my job over Jesus. Praise the Lord. Because I was not willing to do something dishonest I, I, because I was, a, I was following Jesus. You might even physically get hurt over this. So what? We're going to heaven. You know, that's what Jesus says. He said, well, he said this. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Let me tell you something. Whatever suffering we experience in this life will be worth it in the life to come. Paul says that in Romans 8. 8. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him. And you will. It's in heaven. You can't... If you're going to follow Jesus, people are not going to like you. They're going to be mad at you. So what? What's the worst thing they can do? Kill you. Then you get to go to heaven. Praise the Lord. Which leads us to the fear of men. We'll cover that in just a minute. A little more. And fifthly, the wisdom of the world. And this is one that... it isn't new to us, but it really is tough today for us born again believers. You know, I, I can start to think I'm so smart and intelligent and wise because I have access to the internet and all that information, man. And I got all these arguments now and I can lay them on you. And guess what? Probably won't bear any fruit for the kingdom of God. Because it's not the wisdom of the world that does it. Paul says it, chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. And I, brethren, When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hey, can I just say to you, Keep it simple. Just focus on the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ is our only hope. And Jesus proved it by rising from the dead. Let me tell you something. Buddha's dead. Confucius, he's dead. So is Muhammad, Charles T. Russell, Joseph Smith, Charles Darwin. They're all dead. Let me tell you something right now. Jesus is alive. For that reason, what we believe is the truth. That's all you have to give people. Say, give me a reason to doubt that. Because I don't want to believe it is not true. But you know what? Nobody's been able. (laughs) Nobody's been able to say, to prove it wrong. Matter of fact, they ignore it. That's the most immoral thing in the world, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, there have been some who've tried. Atheists. You know, you can read the books. The Empty Tomb, Who Moved the Stone, Frank Morrison, man. The lawyer, atheist lawyer. I'm going to give reasonable doubt. First line of the book, the book that would never be written. Josh McDowell, evidence that demands a verdict. Atheist college student going to come up with reasonable doubt. He's a Christian, a youth leader now. Who's the latest? What's the guy's name? The case for Christ. Hey, man, he was going to deprogram his wife. He has a big, you know, research or, you know, investigative reporter going to deprogram his wife. Sat in his basement. You guys can see it in his movie. Sat in his basement with all the evidence. Look around and he said, okay, God. You win. We got the empirical evidence. Nobody else does. Amen. Jesus is alive, guys. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple. Don't worry about all them foolish arguments. You know, okay, we got hindrances, and this is an exhaustive list, but we also got things that help us. Helps. Not, again, not an exhaustive list. I want to hit just on some things. We're going to hit the first two real quick, Tiff prayer and faith. Those are just the cornerstones, guys. Pray always. Trust God to do what, he, what you ask Him to do. He will. And number three, fear God, not men. Don't fear men. Like I said, all they're going to do is kill you, and then you go to heaven. It really comes down to whose approval is more important to you, God or men. And yeah, I am just ch- I challenge you guys, sell it right now. God's it. His opinion's the only thing. I don't care what anybody else thinks. You know, I want to make sure I'm right on with God. But settle it in your mind. When we lose the fear of men, it can be so freeing to us. Let me tell you something. My friend Rick, he's a great brother in Christ. I hope you all meet him someday. This guy's an evangelist, buddy. He's, he goes to one of the churches to go door to door. He still does that. He went to a house. and The old guy let him in one time. When he found out what he wanted to talk about, the old guy quickly cussed him out and told him to leave. So Rick left and went to the next house, headed on down the street. When he got through it around the block, this young guy comes running up to him. And he, and he introduced himself as the son of that guy who had just cussed him out and apologized. He said, I was in the other room when he was cussing you out. He said, I'm sorry. He said, do you know what? But then he came in the room where I was after he kept ranting. He looked at me and he goes, these areas, they think they can just come in trying to, you know, who do they think they are trying to tell me, you know, I'm a sinner and I, I need Jesus or I'm going to hell? He goes, that's crazy. He goes, you're a Christian? You never do that. Why? And in that moment, his son, man, the Lord, Lord was, I mean, the Holy Spirit was speaking to him through so the man, he said, because I'm afraid of people like you. And he decided in that moment, never again. He still sees Rick. He, he's known him for years, and he, he tells Rick, that was the turning point in my life when I got rid of the fear of men. It doesn't matter. Fear God, guys. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. It says that in 2 Timothy. He's given a, a And if you're afraid, then that's not God's spirit. God's spirit empowers us. He... He empowers us, and he focuses us on loving him and others, and he enables us to have proper and uh, correct thinking. Just, you know, faith is the opposite of fear, of fear. Trust God. Let me say that again. Trust God. Just trust him. He's trustworthy. Matter of fact, trusting God is the requirement to please him. Doesn't it say that? Hebrews eleven six? 6, without faith, what? It's impossible to please him. So what are you fearful about? (laughs) I'd say this are fearful times. You know, I know people got fear going on right now. I do. Give it to Jesus. He wants. He wants you to give it. He wants you to ask. He expects us to trust Him with it. Next thing that helps us. Rely on the Holy Spirit. This is the biggie. (laughs) Acts chapter one, Jesus. He gathered his disciples. He's about to ascend to heaven to return to the Father. He instructs them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And the disciples are curious and ask, Is this when you restore the kingdom and take over as King Messiah? And Jesus tells them not to concern themselves with that, because only the Father knows when that will happen. And in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus gives, it us, gives us his spirit and power, not so we can just use it selfishly. You know, although it, man, we get personal blessings out of it, don't we? We come together and the Lord moves and it's just such a blessing. But you know, Jesus gives us his spirit and power so we can be his witnesses to the world. Because he knew it was such a tough job. I mean, think of the guys he picked. He's a bunch of fishermen. I mean, <laughs> You know, I like what Gil Irwin says. He used to think he'd go by churches and he'd say, the, whole, the Church of the Holy Apostles. He'd go, well, he said, until he started learning about the apostles. And then he'd go by and go, I'm sorry. You know, well, we're the same, guys. Right. We're a motley crew, aren't we? <laughs> we need his power. And you know what? Witness is not so much of an activity as it is who we are. You, you, we're not witnessing. We are witnesses. To the Lord, when you, when you get born again, God's Spirit is in you, and you get spiritual, mo- where you can see now what God's doing. And you see Him, you're a witness to what He's doing, therefore you become His witness. And here's all you do. To be a witness, all you do, just tell people what you see. <laughs> tell them what you see God doing in your life, what He's doing around you in people's lives. Just be a witness to it. You know, because the Spirit, He's with us before we get saved. Then, when we get saved, He comes in us. But here, in this verse, it tells us that there's a point where he comes upon us and empowers us to be his witnesses. The Holy Spirit came upon me at my baptism. I didn't even know what that was. The church didn't even talk about stuff like that. But God knew I needed it, because he knew somebody who was going to show up that I needed to be ready for. My cousin Mark. Mark was six months older than me, and I loved him. We loved each other. We were close. Mark had an older brother, so he... He, he knew a lot more than I did, and he introduced me. He was my guide into sin in my teenage years. And man, I was glad to go. Man, and, 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 we, and he was very important to me. I looked up to him, tried to be cool around him. It was real important what he thought about me. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I knew. Man, in the back of my mind, I knew I was dying to my relationship with Mark and the lifestyle he represented. And then there he was (laughs) at my baptism. I didn't even know that somebody else invited him. And he walks up to me and he goes, what's going on, man? What are you doing here? (laughs) And I was kind of like, uh, uh, uh. But then, guys, the Holy Spirit, I don't even, I I look back and I know what it was. The Holy Spirit just came upon me, man. I just got, you know, you talk about spiritual goods. I got them. And I said, listen, bro, I've turned, I'm I'm done with that life. I've repented of that. Man, I'm, I'm, I've been born again. I'm going to heaven. Man, and I said it with joy, with enthusiasm, with boldness, man. And you know what? His reaction shocked me even worse. He didn't start making fun of me, laughing or anything like that. He said, really, tell me about it. He wanted to know. Hey, don't assume that people don't want to know, guys. Hey, that, that way they're acting, that's just a facade. <laughs> they're just acting. Hey, more people want to know than you know. Step out in faith. Dude, is there somebody in your life right now you know what I'm talking about? Talk to them. Pray, say, Lord, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to. Cause they, and don't be surprised, man. I talked to Mark for a year. He always wanted to talk about Jesus. He never really made that commitment. He, he had a lot of things on him. But I have great hope. He died at 50, a massive heart attack. And, 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 and man, it, it, my heart was broken until I went to the funeral. And his next-door neighbor was a preacher who did the funeral. And he talked about, him and Mark had talked two weeks earlier about the good news. And Mark had said, hey, I believe in Jesus. I'm right with God. I'm, I got hope in that. You know what I'm saying? Another time, man, at the church I went to in Georgia, Karen and I went to for years, Calvary Chapel, our pastor was talking about the, how we need the Holy Spirit to be empowered by the Spirit. And he said, hey, if you want to, come forward. Elders will pray for you. And so I did, man. I wanted that. And I an elder prayed for me. And I'll tell you, it wasn't a big emotional experience, guys. But I'll tell you what. I just got this peace upon me that I cannot explain. Like nothing is going to be all right. I ain't worried about nothing. I had no fear. You know, God was in me. And so we left. Karen and I left. We went over to my parents' house. And there was this dude there that I wanted to tell about Jesus. And I you know, kind of mumbled a couple things about him. He was back there. I walked up to him. working. He was working on something behind my parents. I walked up. And I said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, man. (laughs) I got to tell you about Jesus. And he took off running. (laughs) No, he didn't. I'm just playing. He stood there and he listened intently with a smile on his face and an interested look. And I didn't know it, but God had been setting that whole situation up. My friend, his life was falling apart and I didn't know it. His wife was, him and his wife were about to get, he was to the point of suicide. I prayed with him, I told him about Jesus, I, I, I called him to, you know, I gave him a Bible. Went home, that week he got up, he was going to kill himself, get his knife. There was my Bible sitting. he grabbed the knife instead. Started reading it, and he repented and believed and was born again. Hey, God knew, his spirit will lead you and he'll empower you. And that guy ended up being a deacon in the church and all this stuff, man. And I continue, and I encourage us to continue to seek to be filled and empowered by God's Holy Spirit every day. Because that's how we bear fruit. Jesus said in John 15, 5, Hey, abide in me and I in you. You know, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. We might try, but we'll do nothing. We need to continuously... Well, we need to abide in Christ. We need to remain. That's what a friend of mine told me. That A lot of you guys heard this story, my friend. Steve, you've got to abide in Christ. What is that? You've got to live your life like Jesus is walking with you every step of the way. Because you know what? He is. And we've got to walk in that awareness of His presence. So last one. This is the big one, guys. Help number six. Love. There are a lot of reasons to share the gospel and seek to get people saved, including because Jesus told us to. Number two, because in heaven you'll receive crowns and great rewards for doing so. Because as in Daniel 12 tells us, you're wise to do so and you'll shine like stars. And it's what Jesus would do. But let me tell you something. Love and gratitude to God, and that love for God naturally flowing out of us is the purest and most powerful motive and reason to tell people about Jesus. Paul said, the love of God compels me. The unconditional love in Paul's heart. And here's the deal. That love, people will be drawn to. That's our help. People want to be loved. Here's the deal. When you get saved, if you hate somebody you need to kind of stop and check yourself. Because here's the deal. God's taken that away. His love's in your heart. And I've got to be honest with you. People make, can irritate me and make me... But I forgive them. And I, I honestly... I love everybody. Even people who hate me. That's one of the great things about being a born-again Christian. And there, you may have people who totally hate you. Man, read some stuff that Corey Penn and Boom wrote. She'll help you with that. You know... Helping people and they threw her into concentration camps with the Jewish people. Start a conversation with just love people, guys. Go make disciples. Start a conversation with somebody and pray as you do, and look for ways to work Jesus and the gospel into the conversation. and the Holy Spirit will show you, even as God bless you at the end." Or, hey, just again, talk to them like they already know Jesus, Just share with them, "Hey, the Lord was doing this. People are listening. Always remember, the Spirit is working in tandem with you. It says in John 16, the Spirit will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, because they do not believe in me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Don't focus on convicting people of their individual sins. It's very important. A lot of people do that and turn people off. Instead, be their friend. Love them. Identify with them as a fellow sinner who needs to be forgiven. Just love people. And the Spirit will bring gospel up. He will. And be ready. And you know what? You want to focus on something? Focus on the three things the Spirit's focused on. Number one, that we're all sinners, but all sins are forgiven except one. Not believing in Jesus. That's it. That's all he focuses on. Not believe because they do not believe in me. That he's risen from the dead and ascended to the... You know, that's the next thing. He's righteous. His sacrifice is accepted. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended to the Father. And third, hell and judgment have been prepared for Satan and his demons, not for us. We can skip it if we believe and turn to Jesus. Hmm. Like the man who was formerly possessed by demons, Jesus says to us, Go home to our friends. Tell them what great things God has done for you. We must make the second turn. Amen? we got to make it. It's the right thing to do. It's the only thing we really are here for. So I say to you, go. And if you're a person who's here today or on the Internet, and you have not repented and believed in Jesus Christ, been born again into God's family, Jesus says to you, come. Come now. Don't delay. Repent and believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord and be born again into the family of God.